How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, also from The Athletic. Welcome back to Beyond the Scrum, our podcast about baseball media, which is going great considering there is barely media and no baseball. Mark, how are you? Can I tell you a quick story, Andy? I mean, I, get, I have, honestly, like, I have all the time in the world, so sure. So, of course, we're all working from home. Uh, I have a two-year-old daughter in the house. And I have a wife who has never said a swear word. You said the story would be quick. In her entire life. Just bear with me. This is like one of your leads. So, all right, all right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that was pretty good. So my daughter uh, has never heard a swear word, so I think, except I've been working from home the last two weeks, obviously, and I'm on the phone. And just now, right before I came in here, she I could hear her running, and she turns around and yells at the top of her lungs, Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> It's not been. It's not a good day around here. Not a good she day. Took the, she I, took the Lord's I, name in vain in the Korean house. Just to get me out of the house. Yeah, it's not yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, it's no good. It's no yeah. good. When her grandparents hear that, <sighs> they're not going to be very happy with me. But I'm doing yeah, fine otherwise. Andy, how are you? Good. I'm okay. Staying safe here in L.A. And hey, uh, we decided that uh, we had a guest last week and it went well. Some guy used to cover the Orioles. I forget his name, but we are going this week with Sahadev Sharma. Uh, one of our intrepid Cubs writers here at The Athletic. He's been covering the Cubs for a long time. And we wanted to talk to him about a bunch of different things. But first of all, Dev, how are you doing, man? Uh, I mean, Honestly, I don't know why you're having me on. There's no baseball. I, there's nothing going on. I have, I'm have. i stuck at home. I went grocery shopping today so that I can just share adventures of grocery shopping, spending way too much money and food that will disappear probably in a week. Uh it's a, there's there's nothing going on like why why are we doing podcasts this is a bad uh, this is bad should i did i just send all the listeners away please subscribe <laughs> to the athletic.com slash beyond the scrum and get a 40 percent discount and you'll get more great content like this come on man clean it up we're professionals here. No, <laughs> no no I'm, uh so you're, I'm, stay, I'm good. you're staying no, safe I'm, staying I'm fine, sane you know yeah. Yeah, you know the the normal that we're all now getting used to uh, trying to trying to write about baseball, even though it's not happening. But there's still there's still plenty of uplifting stories. I know you you're big on those, Andy. I I appreciated the optimism yes. you you uh, gave us all the other day. <laughs> I was feeling quite well after you reading your latest piece. So that's uh, yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> the general headspace. That I guess we're all in. <laughs> What uh, so like are the what sort of uh, situation are the are the Cubs in the standard like guys are home guys are in Arizona or no wait they closed all the club they closed all the facilities where are the Cubs where did they That's go a, well here's the thing they, they they've kind of uh, since we talked to Theo about you know right after this all went to hell and and spring training was wasn't officially shut down. Uh, we haven't really heard from anyone with the Cubs. I've, I've kept in touch with certain people, but most of the people that are in charge of things are like, hey, uh, we can chat soon, but right now I'm just overwhelmed with dealing with X, Y, and Z. So the people that are really in charge of the players and front office members and have employees under them uh, are seem like they're really busy, and they're trying to – the latest I've heard from people are like, we, we'll, we'll start talking – to you and and we can we know you have a job to do but right now figuring out where my players are going to be is my main concern I think we'll hear more this week uh been in and out of touch with Theo and and he understands we have a job to do and basically said he hopes to to be able to chat uh 
more openly in the next couple of days. So mm-hmm. uh, as far as where they are, they've they've sent the, yeah they've sent everyone home. But I think it's been a process to making sure everyone is safe. The international players, players that don't really have, especially minor leaguers, making sure where they go and and how they can continue to you know be safe and and not have to worry about uh, how they go about day to day life. Dev, where where were you when baseball shut down that Thursday afternoon? Were you home? Were you at camp? And what was that like to see that all go down wherever you were you're at? I was at home. Patrick Mooney, my partner who covers the Cubs as well for the Athletic, was out there and and you know, we were staying in contact trying to keep in touch about what was going on, what our plans were. Uh, I left uh basically the day after hockey closed their clubhouses. So our big concern was access, right? We're, we're worried about that. Uh, we're not thinking sports are shutting down. And then whatever day that was, it was it Thursday when the NBA shut down that Thursday night. That's when everything, that's when I kind of had that reality sinking in moment. Uh, by the end of that evening, my wife uh, asked me, she's not big on social media. She doesn't, she's, you know, she she has concerned about the kids and her job. She's not worried about baseball and basketball as much. Uh, she finally, at the end of the night, she's like, are you okay? Every, every 30 minutes, it seems like you're letting out a deep sigh after looking at your phone. <laughs> what What's going on? <laughs> and I just kind of let her, let her know that, oh, well, sh- sports have basically shut down and I have no clue what I'm going to be doing for the next, uh, however many months. Uh, so, so I think uh, I feel like people that cover sports in sports were, uh, concerned about this, but before a lot of others in our country were, I guess, uh, it kind of reality smacked everyone in the face, uh, in the sports world pretty quickly. Well, we wanted when we kind of like uh, thought about this podcast initially, like one of the things that at least for me, I don't know if Greg cares, but uh, I was very interested in talking to you (laughs) just about the Cubs because like I am really fascinated by the Cubs and kind of the trajectory they took, not so much in the uh, the buildup. I think that's been pretty well handled by, you know, both like at the time and in, you know, like for Tom Verducci's book and all that sort of stuff. I think the buildup was has been explained pretty well. But this like um, this period they've gone through over the past few years where they went from like the freshest team in baseball to the most tired team uh, was really, really interesting to watch from afar. And I kind of just like wanted to talk to you about what it has been like to kind of see them post 2016. And I know it's kind of a big question, but if you were kind of trying to diagnose what like why they didn't become the dynasty they looked like where would you pin sort of responsibility for that yeah it's it's I'll I'll start out by saying what I'm about to do is unfair to pin it on one place Uh, Patrick and I have written a lot of stuff on this and it's a very nuanced topic about why it went the direction it did and and you you guys all understand that and our listeners should as well uh but you know, this was. I remember writing how this was set up to be a dynasty, right? They they were supposed to uh, not only go to the playoffs repeatedly, which they did, they have, uh, yeah. but also make it to the World Series, really dominate the league, and and win multiple rings. Was a you know nobody should expect that, but it felt like a real possibility with the young talent that they had. Uh, where I keep coming back to is the failure to build that uh, player development machine that Theo Epstein promised when uh, 
when he first arrived. They looked like they were on top of the world mm-hmm. at first with a number one uh, farm system. Obviously, we saw how well uh, the talent uh, actually produced that they had in their farm system it, it, pretty well. I mean, a lot of hits in the first round. But if you go beyond the first round, there's very little production, uh, very few pitchers that have been developed. Uh, you could you, really it's it's minimal amount of talent and impact that they've gotten on the pitching side. And that's where I keep coming back to. If you look at who they drafted, who they passed up, their inability to produce any starting pitching from the system. It, it led to a lot of the errors that that have been uh, that have kind of really hurt them as far as financially. They have so much money invested in the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to trade away players uh, who turned out to be impact talent to get pitching, to get Jose Quintana, to get uh, Wade Davis, to get all sorts mm-hmm. of different pitchers, to get Aroldis Chapman. They couldn't develop their own relievers. They couldn't develop their own starters. So not only are they spending money, but they're uh, giving up talent. That hurts their depth. That hurts the impact talent that they're able to uh, bring up to the big leagues. Suddenly now you're talking about, is the team old? Is the team lacking talent? No, I wouldn't say that. I would just mm-hmm. say that uh, they are not. They don't have the powerhouse talent that they look to be developing year in, year out. Uh, it's just not there, and and they're not at the level of the Dodgers or the Yankees uh, or the Astros even. They're just not there right now, and, and a lot of it comes down to player development and amateur scouting, and those are the two areas that Theo Epstein completely revamped over the offseason, and, and he kind of points mm-hmm. to it was a winner's trap, so to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, they... They had been having success. Their their methods had worked not only in the recent past, but for years and decades before that. They had a lot of good talent evaluators up and down their system. Uh, you know, and, and we all know how much player development has changed, and they kind of just fell behind in that area, mm-hmm. I, I believe, the most. And 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 they've they've done the work to to make those changes. Obviously, we don't know what sort of impact that will have uh, mm-hmm. for a few years. We won't know. But it, from what I've heard, they've brought in very capable people and the right type of people if you're going in the direction uh, that, that they're trying to go as far as revamping player development and, and go in that direction of technology and and bringing the old school coaches together with the new school methods. Mm-hmm. I think I wonder it's not you know, it's, it's hard sometimes because uh, we don't want to put uh, make the sort of executives we cover to be sort of infallible I guess you know yeah that's that's not the position you should put them in but at the same time like when you cover teams that are generally well run which is what the Cubs you know I, I'm not saying the Cubs are poorly run but they certainly looked like they were incredibly well run in that build up to 2016 it looked like they were you know sort of clicking all the right buttons like in the aftermath of that is it does it mess with your sort of own internal perception of events when you see like when they explain like, well, this is why we did this. And you're like, oh, OK, that makes sense. And then that thing doesn't work, essentially. Like, is that a, a, a jarring thing to cover when you see like intelligent, uh, you know, talented executives make mistakes and you're sort of in the moment like you kind of take their word for it in a way? Sure. Uh, I mean, there's numerous examples, I'd say, of where I wasn't, you know, I was questioning a move initially and the way it was explained to me made perfect sense. And I could, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, probably one of the biggest ones is the Quintana trade. I I knew they had to get a pitcher that was uh, very consistent, that could fit at 
if not the top of the rotation, be that number solid number three, uh, be on a contract that's cheap that won't you know completely destroy your uh, your payroll. Uh, all that stuff. He he checked every box at the time. It made so much sense. There, I can't even tell you for how long I've been talking to people in that front office about we need to acquire a young pitcher, you know, sub thirty mm-hmm. who's got years, multiple years left that isn't going to cost a lot. Blah blah blah. They needed that guy. They've been looking for that guy for multiple off seasons, trade deadlines. Quintana finally. Ne- Quintana never seemed like a realistic target because just seemed like the White Sox weren't going to give give him up to the Cubs when when the deal actually happened when I heard it was Eloy and Cease the way it was explained to me was very simple Cease you know they a lot of them a lot of people saw him as a reliever maybe he still is that's great he the Cubs could use him either way uh, but they knew it was going to hurt to get what they needed Eloy they kind of looked at it as we have a spot in left field uh, for either Eloy or Kyle Schwarber and they stuck with Schwarber at that point in time. That's the guy that they chose. They didn't really see it as we can have all these guys in our lineup at once. Uh, we don't know exactly how that's going to pan out outside of Q has not been worth what that trade was. I mm-hmm. can I can go back in time and defend that over and over again. It'd be very hard for me to change the way I felt at that time because I, I – it, with all the contacts that we had at that point in time in, what was that, July of 2017, it made perfect sense. You look back now, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to defend that move. It, it's not it, it's not a move that you can defend. I'll, if you want to go back to Chapman for Glaber Torres, uh, we, can, we can debate that all you want. There will never be a day that Theo Epstein looks back and regrets that move. He got a ring, and... Right. It, a lot of people in that front office believe you don't win that ring without a role as Chapman. He will never regret that move. If, if Glaber Torres becomes a Hall of Famer, uh, leads the Yankees to multiple World Series, not once will Theo say, man, I wish I didn't make that move because he know he knows in his heart that that, that move helped them get a ring. The other, the Q, training for Q, that one may eat at him for a while as well as probably uh, not going harder after Verlander that same summer. You know what's funny? There's a lot of teams in that I, Verlander boat, yeah. Yeah, the Yankees for one, for sure. Um, you know, in 2015, when I was on the Mets, covering the Mets at the time, and that matchup in the playoffs, I remember it being pitted as, here's one side developing pitching, going with pitching to, to move forward, and the Cubs were, all right, they've got the young bats moving forward. And that in 15, of course the Mets won that series and I remember thinking at the time how fun a debate this was going to be moving forward hitting versus pitching Um, and obviously you just described there's some pitfalls to one side of that too but you know what was it like I guess when you're watching this unfold you're trying to cover it Sahadev what was the most difficult part of that you know like I guess What's the toughest part of covering something that's that multi-layered and nuanced? Because fans are going to be like, tell me what's going wrong here. And as a reporter, I'm sure you're seeing lots of different explanations for it. How was it sorting through all of that stuff for you? Well, for me, what's what was most hard is you, in the moment, obviously you don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to turn out. And the past two seasons especially, I knew the talent was there for the Cubs to go on a run. I also had this 
feeling that I couldn't quite put my finger on something that was missing that, you know, something that uh, was more, uh, you know, it was more ethereal than just, uh, you know, they don't have a, a center fielder that's good enough. They don't have a leadoff hitter. They don't have a, the, the high leverage bullpen guys. It was more than that. There was something that had been missing. Uh, maybe, maybe that was in my head because you heard Theo Epstein say it a lot. It went from the hangover in 2017 to a hangover that kind of led, uh, remained all throughout the past three seasons. Really, they got hot in the second half of 2017, but it was more than just a World Series hangover. It, it, there was something missing with the group. Uh, if some of them just were too satisfied with winning that one world series and didn't have that extra edge that you need that all athletes need it's hard to say that that's the only case because i just find it hard to believe that that many athletes would lose that insane desire to win that's how they get to the big leagues that's how they get to where they are uh, most of them have that that extreme desire to win but there was something missing with the team so for me it was always uh I always felt like, am I reading too much into this? Is there more uh, going on or am I making that up because they're not clicking to the level that I expected them to? Patrick would often say, hey, maybe they're just not as good as we expected them to be. Maybe this team just, we see all the names, we know what the talent was supposed to be. Maybe that's not who they are. I think there's a little bit of all of that involved, but there was, I think as we've come to this point, I kind of look back and say there was, I, I wasn't wrong when I had that feeling that something that uh, intangible was missing. Uh, Theo Epstein has pretty much hammered that pretty hard. And, and it's part of the reason why David Ross is here now as their manager. Uh, but at the time you question yourself, you don't know why, why you have that feeling. You don't know if it's complete and utter nonsense uh, that you have that feeling. Uh, it could just, I mean, and, and especially after a 95 win and win season in 2018, you start to wonder, are they, are people overreacting? Can you just, can this team, you know, be as, be much better if just uh, Chris Bryant is healthy and you Darvish uh, isn't hurt all year. Uh, that happened last season and, and they, you know, won what 11 fewer games. And, and there was just a, the talent was there. They never quite put it all together when it mattered most. It's uh, a couple, I think it was spring of, yeah, spring of 2019, I was uh, I was in the Rockies clubhouse and I was talking to uh, to Wade Davis and we were kind of talking about um, just like, who do you think is going to be good this year? Like, you know, who do you like in this division? Who do you like in that division? And he's like, who you got in the central? And I, I don't remember who I said, probably the Cardinals, because I just pick the Cardinals every year because, you know, I don't know who's on their team, but they usually <laughs> are good. And uh, and he was like, he was like, what about the Cubs? And I was like, I don't know, man. Like the Cubs are, you know. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. They're they're kind of tired, aren't they? And he was just like, yeah, man, they're tired. They're definitely tired. You know, they got Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber and you Darvish and John Lester and Kyle Hendricks and Ian Happ and Benzo. Like he just <laughs> names like everyone. You're like. Yeah, those are all good players. I was like, yeah, the Cubs should win the division. And that's kind of and I've just like felt that way about them for the last few years where it's like, hey, 
you have all the good players win your division i don't get it like it's not that easy you know and i'm an, and i'm obviously simplifying but like i i imagine kind of seeing it on a day-to-day it must be uh you know it, it probably makes you just question your own sense of you know like your own like self like assessment abilities you know where you're like well i thought that they were really good at you know this this and this and it just seems like they also lost tonight's game so i'm very confused about what you know what's going on yeah yeah, I'll say this. I what perplexed me the most uh, over the past few years was the offense, and it all it did was push me to dig into it a little bit more, talk to more scouts about it, and and I did write a piece about why the offense was so easily could go into such prolonged slumps, why they struggled against certain types of pitchers. It, you know, they they struggle with high fastballs, and they chase breaking balls out of the zone. Those are two things that they do worse than about just about every team in baseball Uh, as a team as a whole they have certain guys that uh that are good at it but just not enough guys and it it made uh what on paper looked like a very talented offense uh really struggle with consistency really struggle when in in bigger moments because uh pitchers would bear down and and they knew how to get they'd have the right pitcher out there that could dot it up in the zone or knew when to throw that breaking ball and knew he could get a chase. Uh, that kind of sunk this offense. It, it led Theo to, after the 2018 season, to say somewhere along the line the offense broke. Uh, his job is to try and figure out what exactly caused that, how he can uh, how he can fix that offense. And he, he said off multiple times that it, he just needs a more diversity in the lineup, more contact-hitting guys. Uh, you don't want to get rid of the power guys, but you also want a, a guy that can hit for, you know, a, maybe 280, 300 average and may not be, may not hit 15, 20, 30, 50 home runs, whatever. They may not hit double digit homers, but you need players like that in your lineup at different spots. And it was just too, too uniform. And, and I think it's something that they've come to kind of uh, over the years that, that they may not have been able to execute exactly in acquiring those players, but they know the type of player that they need to kind of make this a more well-rounded offense. So Dev referenced the story right there. And and part of the headline is how pitchers exploit the Cubs offense. Um, Why? And I think you talked about it a little bit in there. Why do you think they were so slow to adjust? Because it's not like throwing elevated fastballs, and and good breaking holes out of the zone that didn't just happen last year that's been a thing that's been going on yeah. now for a little bit here and it seemed like they just either didn't see it or simply didn't adjust so i don't know what you you saw it every day dev which one was it a combination of both like how did that happen yeah i i think the the talent evaluators and even the coaching staff knew it. It was a struggle to adjust. A guy like Ian Happ had to be sent down to start last season to AAA and needed pretty much all of that time, all of that AAA season to really get it hammered home that, uh, you know, you can't always, he had to learn how to lay off that high heat. Does he do it every single time that it's offered to him? No. But you can see that he improved, at least in the month that I saw him in September, and then it, it looked like it carried over into the spring this year. Uh, he looked like, a, he looks like a very different player, and he carries himself differently at the plate. He just looks 
this is a guy that you could just you knew how to get him out and and if if he's made that slight adjustment it takes a while you become a you have to be a different type of hitter and it took him an almost a full season at AAA. that's the other thing a lot of these guys were called up really young i mean we talk about how exciting it is to have young players sometimes some of these guys come up and they're because the team is competing they haven't fully developed they haven't had those long periods of uh, of struggling to where you are forced to make adjustments and now you now you have to make slight changes whatever the change is whether it's mechanical mental slight tweaks here and there they they may not have made them in the minor leagues when it was best to happen and and now they're they're forced to have those struggles in the majors and and making those changes either in season or at the big leagues is it's really hard to do but that's one guy that I saw make the improvements I'm writing about Kyle Schwarber right now another guy that it took years but he's made the improvements so there there's they, I think it's more about development and it's really hard to happen at the big league level so some of these guys have made the adjustment uh, they did make the uh, the I know that uh, they started to uh, evaluate talent talent differently in the last couple of years. A guy like Nico Horner was drafted with the thought that this is a fast mover. He'll come through the system quickly and he's the exact type of hitter that they don't have. He can handle the high heat. He can put the ball in play regularly. He's not going to take a lot of walks. This is this is a front office that's always valued on base percentage and walks, but this guy won't walk a ton, but he's going to put the ball in play. They've, they, they see that these uh, skill sets are missing from their group and they're trying to get it. I mean, that's why they went and got Castellanos in the, at the trade deadline last year. A guy like Tony Kemp, who may not have impacted the team, that's the skill set that they wanted. The guy that can put the ball in play, the guy that isn't going to strike out a ton. So, so they've identified it. It's about uh, it's the struggle to really develop it with the youth, and it, the other part is just acquiring that talent. When now, right now, they're working with a tighter budget than they ever have before. There, it's not like they're not spending money. Uh, they they have a high payroll. They just don't. They they're not adding to it. So it's hard to hard to really go hard after a skill set that, like you said, Craig, everybody knows now that you know if you can handle the high heat, you're a you're a valued commodity. If you don't chase breaking balls out of the zone, uh, we want you on our team. That it's not it's not a secret. Anthony Rendon does all those things really well. He wasn't going to come to the Cubs for cheap. Hey, uh, what what do you make of uh, their? They're like spending freeze because like you can't really like call them cheap, right? Like they've spent they're spending a ton of money still, but they're also like, you know, not spending and leaving like sort of gaping holes in the, you know, the 40 man for the 2020 season. Like so how like how do you sort of characterize that in your writing, I guess? Because like fans just want to say like they're cheap, they don't spend, blah, blah, blah. Like is it is it irritating to have to like constantly point out like all the contracts that have like gone bad for them, I guess? <laughs> well, I, I kind of I understand the fans that saying they're cheap. Uh, I also right. even though I disagree with that, they're not cheap. It's, it's just it's all about nuance and how you properly phrase it. I, I what I've gone what, what I've always said with this is. Uh, you can't call this team cheap. They're spending. Uh, what I struggle with is you know that this team has holes. You know that this team has flaws. And it's not about whether it was two off seasons ago, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And it's not about Garrett Cole. And it's not about uh, Rendon. It's about filling the gaps with uh, real players, with players who aren't, you're not taking flyers on, on Brad Brock for a million bucks, but you're going out and getting a, a no crap uh, right-handed reliever who will handle the eighth or the ninth inning. 
Of course, they went and got Kimbrell in the middle of the season. The only reason they did that is because they didn't have to pay Ben Zobrist for four out of the six months of, of the season. Uh, it, obviously, it backfired, but it was the right move in the sense that that was the thing that the Cubs were missing at that point in time. If you, if you go back and look at where they were at that time, they were hitting. The starting pitching was doing well. The bullpen was starting to come together. They just didn't have that closer, that uh, that lockdown guy in the ninth. And it's hard to find a better one on the open market without, you know, depleting your system in, in a trade to than, than Craig, Craig Kimbrell. So they, they went out and got him. He just didn't work. Uh, but I do feel like there are times like this, this off, these last two off seasons, they knew what their holes were. You can say that they went and addressed them at the deadline, but that's not how you how you go about an offseason, in my opinion. You address the holes that you have in the offseason during that offseason because you know numerous others are going to pop up during the season. It's not how Theo Epstein runs things. Theo Epstein has said, I remember during 2016, he was obsessed with creating depth for that team. He was trying to figure out every single thing that could go wrong and make sure he had a plan B, C, and D for it because he knew how good that team was and he didn't want it to collapse because one tiny little thing went wrong and it just, and the whole thing collapsed because of that. So I know he doesn't he doesn't think differently in any season that can compete. He wants that type of depth. He wants uh, he wants a team that every single thing that can go wrong, he has an answer for it on the, uh, you know, somewhere on the roster, on the 40 man, somewhere in the minors. He can he can address those issues. So I know that's not how he wants to run things. He also understands the reality of working with the budget. I've always my, my whole point is when you're in the middle of uh a window of contention with the Cubs have said the Cubs have said that that at the end of 2021 it's going to be a, you know it's going to be hard to really bring back this entire core but you have a core that can win a World Series uh, luxury taxes uh, whatever it is I don't think should impact decision making you should spend the money to try and win when you have that opportunity and it feels like uh, when Theo Epstein was first hired, he said every season is sacred, and then he went uh, and tanked for four years. So obviously, it didn't mean that much. But but the reality is, you'd like to think that every season where you think you can compete is sacred. I don't feel like they treated those off seasons that way, as far as uh, expanding the budget and being willing to be a little bit more flexible with these things and address obvious holes that not just. Theo Epstein could see, but every single person that watched that team knew what the holes were and how they could be addressed. Are you purposely not talking about the manager? <laughs> no, I I, I, I don't mean, have any specific manager, Joe Madden I, question. I'm just I'm just curious. <laughs> like I, I just was wondering if you were doing it, you know, because you just got sick of everyone blaming Madden for everything. And and I mean, I think it, again, it's a it's a nuanced thing right like he uh, I you guys uh, wrote uh, you and Patrick uh, your uh, silent co-conspirator uh, wrote a tremendous story <laughs> last spring uh, kind of outlining you know all of the things that I guess like the the Cubs were looking to cut back on in 2019 you know sort of like the the way they were going to do batting practice and you know they were going to like circle trap series and you know cut down on like eating fast food and you know kind of reading that I'm like what in the heck was going on in there? Like this feels like a pretty, this feels like a pretty strong repudiation of the culture in the room, and that generally reflects on the manager. And so it, it's it's you know it's never as simple as like this guy you know blaming one person or you know one move or anything like that. But it is a it is an interesting stew where it seems like 
there are a lot of folks with responsibility for how the last few years have gone, right? Like the front office, the players, you know, the manager, you know, ownership for not, you know, agreeing to spend the last couple of years in the ways that they've needed. It's it's an interesting sort of, uh, you know, it's almost like a fair fight in some ways, you know, you can kind of put it on everyone, it seems like. Yeah, I, I think if you want to absolve Madden of blame, you have an agenda. It, it, there's You can't absolve him of blame. There were clear issues, and I think uh, that piece that we wrote before 2019 uh, season, it basically it was a player-driven movement. Uh, they, they needed – it wasn't about uh, – it wasn't so much as the players that were pushing for it needed more structure – they felt that more structure could help the younger younger players mm-hmm. uh, prepare for the game better. They felt that um, it, it, obviously it's on the players to police the clubhouse. I, I think that's the thing that Madden always felt. Mm-hmm. My and I and I don't think that's wrong. I think that's the way it should be. Right. My issue with with that philosophy has always been: if it's not happening, if that's not happening. Whose responsibility is to make sure that that these things are being done? If if things are slipping through the cracks and no leader in the clubhouse is stepping up, does that mean it just doesn't happen? Then is, that's where I felt like uh, Madden kind of uh, abdicated his responsibilities and should have, when he realized that I don't have David Ross in this clubhouse anymore. Uh, to kind of police them. I'm not saying they don't have leaders, but we all know there are Mm -hmm. different types of leaders. And I think the type of leader that they were lacking since David Ross left was the type of guy that would, when he saw something wrong, he wouldn't passive aggressively deal with it and complain to someone else. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't. He'd, he'd handle it in the right way. He'd he'd get on the person, but he'd earned that respect to the point that nobody else would feel like he went over the top. And that person that he went after, it, maybe they didn't uh, appreciate it at the moment, but eventually they realized that was the right thing to do. Uh, I believe they have players that can become that person. I also believe that that's why David Ross was hired because he's going to be that person until mm-hmm. someone else steps up uh, in the clubhouse to be that be that guy. And and yeah, there's a, I mean, you know, while while D- Joe Madden was telling us uh, in St. Louis uh, back in September at the end of September, you know, him and Theo are standing side by side, and there's no philosophical differences. Uh, Madden was telling us he you know, almost scolding us since we, since some of us had written uh, that, yeah, they're, they're, you know, minor things that the, these, you know, the front office and Madden disagree up, uh, on that have kind of grown over the years. And, and it's led to, you know, maybe some philosophical differences that, that they just can't uh, come eye to eye on. And of course, uh, you know, spring training starts and suddenly Madden's like, ah, maybe you can call it philosophical differences. So something changed <laughs> in those months where uh, philosophical differences was, was highly offensive to him. And then all of a sudden he's the one suggesting that it can be uh, philosoph- maybe, maybe it's okay to call it philosophical differences. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, it was, it was an issue. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the fact that they wanted uh, stricter guidelines or whatever, however you want to describe it, uh, to kind of give them a sense of urgency heading into 2019. Yeah, of course, it had something to do with Madden and and Madden changed slightly, but there were things that he just wasn't going to change. I can't I can't say Joe Madden is wrong for that. Look at all the success he's had in his career. Yeah. 
I, I expect him to have success in the future with the Angels. Uh, his way works. The thing is, it, it may not work at every single time for every group. Uh, I think ultimately the Cubs needed a new voice. They needed a new type of leader. Uh, that's not uh, I don't think that that says that Joe Madden is bad at his job. I just think it says that at at certain times you may need a different voice to motivate a, a certain group. And I think that was uh, clear here. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully there, there'll come a time where we can write that story. But Patrick and I had something coming together that that would have really explained why this all made sense perfectly. Uh We'll see if that can 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 still be a story because I think it's still relevant. But uh, the world changing as it is, it may it may make it difficult. Hey, um, you mentioned David Ross there, and I think it's well documented the things that he brought to that clubhouse when he was playing, and certainly they're expecting some of those elements now that he's a manager. But if we let's fast forward to the end of this contention window. And we're living in a world where it didn't go so well the last couple of years. Uh, if that ends up being the case with Ross at the helm, why do you think that would happen? I guess in other words, I'm asking, if he struggles and you had to guess why it was at this point in time, what would that be? If if Ross struggles, I would say, if, it, if you're specifically saying it definitely was, it was something he did wrong, it would be because he just couldn't adapt yes. to the in-game uh, the in-game managing skills. There's no doubt in my mind he can handle. I look at managers as basically you're handling three different aspects, the in-game aspect, the clubhouse, and the media. Uh, David Ross can handle that clubhouse. I have never been more convinced of anything than I was after the spring that we we had with him. It It was clear that the players were motivated by him. It wasn't fake. It wasn't just your spring training rah-rah stuff. There was something real about what he did, uh, how he was able to motivate them, how he was able to to really speak to those guys to get their best effort. I think that was real. I, I know that he I, – I was kind of curious to see how he'd handle us as a, as a manager. I knew he'd be fine with us. Uh, I knew he was great with us as a player. Uh how can he handle the media as a manager spring training? He did fine. We, we did, we weren't challenging him much. There wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't mismanaging his bullpen or anything like that. So we didn't, we never really had that opportunity to really push him on anything to see how he would with that. And I'm sure he'd handle it different than Joe. Joe never got mad, uh, for, for hard questions. He, he could, you know, he could sound annoyed at times, but it would never be like the blowups you see, uh, you know, semi-regularly with other managers. I think Ross would probably be a little bit more of a red ass with us at times. And, and that's fine. I, I think that <laughs> that can be helpful for, for uh, it can be a good story for us. And, and that, and, you know, you may be defending a player or inspiring a player by doing that as well. I just have no idea what type of manager he'd be in game. You know, we see so many uh, supp supposedly great uh, potential future managers that just don't, that are overwhelmed with the in-game decisions. Uh, I do know that he spent a ton of time with R&D. He knew this was his biggest weakness. If there was one weakness, he's well aware that he has doesn't have the experience, that this could be a weakness for him. He spent his offseason with the R&D group coming like they went over ideas over different situations he talked about what what he thought would make sense they told him what the data would say or how these various situations that may arise and how they'd handle it 
he's he went over that he put in the work he put in the man hours to at least try and up that as much as you can and work on that when you're not actually in game there was going to be a learning curve uh he had a manager on the bench and andy green who he was building a relationship with over the spring uh obviously andy green didn't have success in san diego but he's known as a guy that's great with strategy he uh during his time in arizona he get he gained a great reputation for that that's how he got that job in in san diego so uh you know if did he have the right coaching staff around him to uh, make up for any flaws he may have had about in-game strategy did he put in enough work with r&d to get get up to snuff there i don't know uh, that's that's the one question that i have wanted to see how it played out over the season obviously one year uh, of that is, is hard to judge a, a guy but when you have the talent you should be able to you know you should be able to make the right moves if this team was healthy i, I thought they had the talent uh, in every area, uh, pitching, starting pitching, bullpen, uh, the offense. I really thought they had a chance to to be a, a very good team this year. Uh, if if it wasn't going to work out over the next two years, that and Ross was a problem, I would say it's his in-game managing skills. I just have no idea how that was going to be, uh, and and that's probably what would sink him if he was going to be sunk. Geez, you'd love David Ross. Wow. <laughs> 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 he just said he hasn't screwed up enough yet and no. we just done <laughs> Jeez. Lombardi right, and stirrups. Yeah, Seriously, amazing. dude. It's like like that was like Bill Swirsky talking about Mike Ditka. Imagine if General Patton had uh, also been an ESPN commentator. <laughs> no. Oh my god, what if Douglas <laughs> MacArthur could catch? Well, I mean, you know, MacArthur had some issues. Um, but, no, true. <laughs> if we're going to get picky. Oh, man. We get it, Andy. You're smart. Christ. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> uh, sorry, Mark. I'm uh, thinking about grad school. I think I'm going to study public policy. I just got to figure out what public policy is. Once I figure that out, I'm, uh, I think I'm golden. <laughs> Hey, uh, Dev, can you you had a, a a slightly different entree into the journalism world than the sort of average fellow? Is that right? Yeah, I would say so. Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, I was uh, about fifteen years ago. Now I was wrapping up my my degree in civil engineering. I was miserable, unhappy, interning at a place that I had a job lined up at and uh, a few months away from graduating. And, and I kind of uh, was relaying how unhappy I was to my brother. And he's like, well, what are you doing, man? You're almost done with school. How can you be unhappy? You're going to be making good money, blah, blah, blah. He's like, well, if you don't want to be an engineer, what do you want to be? And I told him, you know, I had this stupid dream of of getting into sports journalism and he told me to go for it. I was 24 at the time. And I believe I, I told him, you know, that's, that's dumb. I'm too old. Uh, and, and he's five years older than me basically said, you're not mm -hmm. too old. Just if you, if you really think it can work, go for it. I don't know if I really believed it could work as much as I was just like desperate to do something that didn't make me miserable on a day to day basis. Uh, and, you know, I, I got my foot in the door at ESPN Radio as an intern, worked there unpaid, which I look back on and, you know, that's awful. For a year, mm -hmm. I was unpaid intern doing everything Jesus. that a producer would do. Uh, 
luckily my I, when I told my engineering job that I didn't want to you know pursue engineering anymore, they're like, well, we need your help, uh, you know, on a part time basis if you want to keep doing that. So I was able to make ends meet doing that. But slowly but surely, I moved, worked my way up in the radio side, and uh, I think you guys all know Bruce Levine. I was producing his uh, radio show, and Bruce is kind of a gruff guy. Doesn't uh, there people on the radio side? I would say most producers didn't uh, didn't get along with him, uh, but I I did for some reason. I love baseball. I talked about baseball with him all the time. I'd, I'd push uh, push back when we disagreed on stuff and. And I think he appreciated that. One day he asked me what I wanted to do. I told him I want to be a baseball writer. And uh, he brought me to a game, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. In the clubhouse, uh, we wasted time standing around, didn't even get the interview we did. But I knew that it was when I did get interviews, it felt comfortable. It felt right. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, what what I knew I wanted to do. Uh, Obviously, it took years and years to to find that right gig. But... uh, I just I I basically at that point, I realized like radio is not what I want to do. This is where I can excel. Uh, I kind of resigned from the radio side, did a ton of freelancing stuff for years. I got hired. I think my first full time gig was a baseball prospectus, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, a a great company to work for. But ownership change at the time kind of made it a little difficult and and, uh, frustrating. And uh, the athletic showed up at the right time. It was uh it was perfect timing. I was unhappy where I was, and uh, John Greenberg kind of approached me during Jason Hayward's press conference. It was right after Jason Hayward's press conference. He asked me, uh, "Oh wow, uh, if I was happy with Baseball Prospectus?" Uh, I, I kind of lied and said, "You know, I, I get to cover the Cubs. I'm happy." And, <laughs> and I'm like, "But you can make me an offer for this uh, website that surely won't survive past nine months." Uh, <laughs> and uh, and they did, and you know, and uh, somehow you idiots now work there too. I don't know what happened, but it, it's uh, dude, temporarily. Dev, I remember been, that. I remember uh, Fox <laughs> like, Sports I saw, I pivoted saw, to video. That's what happened. Uh, that's not happened. Uh, <laughs> so I remember the Mets coming through Chicago, and I see Dev in the press box, and I, hey, what's up, man? Like I hadn't seen him in a while, and and I thought you were still doing the old gig. And I remember you going, oh, yeah, I'm at this subscription site. It's called The Athletic. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, that's great. You know, you're like explaining the model. And I'm like, oh, man, that's really good. Good luck. And I remember going back, sitting down, like, oh, geez, that'll never work. That's crazy. What is, what is he doing? And, and here we are. Here we are. Dev, thanks a ton for coming on. This was fun. I uh, really enjoyed getting to ask all these questions and all that stuff. Um, is there anything you're you're working on now that uh, folks should be on the lookout for? Any stories you're particularly interested in or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm literally dug through what I – my old tape that I never used that felt like it got blown up for various reasons, and I actually found something that I can still use. So I'm writing about Kyle Schwarber and the changes he's made and piece that I would have written at the end of last year, but uh, the Cubs collapse kind of put that on hold and kind of forgot about it. But it's a it's an interesting piece, and, you know, I'll have that up and, and hopefully a lot more about talking to various coaches and front office members over the coming weeks. Patrick and I have various ideas and – uh, basically what a season could look like or what uh, what uh, different programs player development wise that have been shot to hell now can uh, how they may change and, and what uh, different people envision for this organization. Dev, where do you stand on calling players by nicknames? Do you do it or not? Oh, oh, oh. 
uh, yeah, it, it's, it depends if it's like, uh, like I call, I don't call David Ross, David, right. You know, we just, everybody calls him Rossi. Uh, so I guess it, it, it depends, it, you know, well, it sounded like you called him player, sir. Depends on the nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Your honor. Your honor. Your yeah. honor. Uh, it is just your excellency. All I know. It is. It, I'm just grateful right. to be and in Andy your presence, does it all sir. the time, too. Just Andy and the player uh. nicknames. It's constant. I can't take it. I can't take I, it. Haas. Well, Haas. Haas. I just, if I went up to, if I went up to, to, to Eric Hosmer and it. said, hey, Eric, how's it going? He would not turn around. Ugh. Well, it sounds like someone you just camp, you just called them me. all by their you, you just called them all by their first name I, I just I try to avoid it at all costs so I, I just I don't like it it just sounds funny especially in like conversations like this it gets to me so when you said Schwarber I'm like don't say Schwarbs don't say Schwarbs and you didn't to your credit <laughs> but it made me wonder does he do that because I heard someone say Yarbs for Ryan Yarborough the other in Ray's camp and I was like wow that's awful who that's just awful Yarborough, the pitcher for Tampa Bay. People call him Yarbs. Like it's just no, don't do that. Who? I don't like it. Anyway, it's just it's just a thing. Okay, I see, I see what you what did there. What player Andy. are you talking? No, no, about? I see what you did there. That's I see what you did there. He's a was yeah. that? Yeah. Is that like Kale Yarborough's kid? <laughs> Dude, I'm pretty I'm pretty locked in on Major League Baseball. Let me tell uh, you, I know who, who's yeah. playing on what team. <laughs> And all that sort of stuff. Uh, they, they got a they got a ball club in Tampa Bay now. Andy. National writer cool. Andy McCullough. I focus oh, on the West Coast, God. and by the West Coast, I mean the say. Dodgers. <laughs> the, the highlight for me last the, year the, was when my uh, when my uh, I had to do pick the breakout pick for the postseason, and uh, I chose uh, uh, Tony Gonsolin because he's you know a good good young reliever. Seemed like a <laughs> you know pretty. It could be a pretty like. Uh, talented guy coming out of the bullpen for the Dodgers could rack up a lot of strikeouts, you know, and and I picked this and Pedro Mora, our uh, Dodgers writer, just comes up to me, saw it in print. He's like, you know, that guy's not going to be on the postseason roster, right? And I was just like, all right, all right, man, I am. Hey, I'm cooking with gas, you know, so yeah, I'm pretty, pretty good at this job, you could say. Oh, boy. Oh, man. oh god! All right, this was fun. Uh, thank you for coming on. If you're still listening, please like yeah. and subscribe. Uh, you know, on iTunes and all that sort of stuff. And you, and seriously, uh, you know, even though there's not games and stuff going on, we're still cranking out coverage. We're still putting out lots of stuff. It's Sports Movie Week. Um, you know, there's been lots of fun stories already, and there's going to be more coming in the week. I heard there's an oral history of Airbud coming down the pike, which should be entertaining. Um, but yeah, you just go to uh, theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum. You can get a 40% discount. And uh, otherwise, please stay safe, be nice to each other, and we'll see you next week.